1 Samuel chapter 2. The word faithful. It's a word we often use in a Christian context. The idea of faithfulness is being firm in one's adherence to truth or to perceived duty. It's about loyalty. It's about allegiance, about consistent performance of one's duty, faithfulness. God, according to the Word of God, has always greatly valued faithfulness. It's one of the chiefest honors a man can receive from God to be called faithful. One day, according to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, the clouds will part and our Lord and Savior will return to judge the world and to redeem His people. And on that day, the Scriptures tell us, John says, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Our Lord will part the clouds and judge the world and make war in righteousness, but clothed in the moniker faithful and true. One day you will stand before your Lord and you will give an account for that which you have done in this life. And having finished your life on that day, the words you long to hear are the words that Jesus Christ spoke of in Matthew 25 as He gave the parable of the talents. And those words are these, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Faithfulness something we ought to all be aspiring unto. Last week, we began our consideration of a man, Eli. Two two sermons ago in 1 Samuel, we were considering his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Last week, we considered the man himself, Eli, and we found that none of these men had been faithful unto God. They had placed themselves, they had placed their own sin, they had placed the things that they wanted above God, above God's people, above God's laws. Last week, we saw the man of God rebuke Eli for honoring his sons above God. And we talked about the danger even in our own families of we as fathers, we as mothers, we as parents, honoring our children in the way that we raise them and discipline them above God, going our way, doing things the way we think our children uh, would want as opposed to doing things the way God has told us to do it. And today we're going to consider deeper as we finish up 1 Samuel 2, the consequences of Eli's rebellion, the consequences of his lack of faithfulness. We're going to trace these consequences, not just through Eli's final days, not even just through his son's final days, but we're going to trace these hundreds of years into the future and see that Eli's refusal to be faithful to the word of God had ramifications for hundreds of years of Israel's history. We're going to see something else as well. We're also going to see a sovereign God's promise that His blessings and His promises are not unto given unto the perfect. Thank God. 
They're not given just unto the ideal, thank God. They are given to those who are faithful. God's blessings are reserved for the faithful. So recall last time we were in verses 29, 30, uh, excuse me, 26, 27, 28, 29, that, that range. And in verse 29, the man of God came to Eli, rebuking him for honoring his sons above him. And he said, Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation? Now, we actually stopped our sermon right in the middle of the man of God's message. And we did that because we were focusing particularly on the rebuke. But we're going to go beyond that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to read along with me. We're going to begin in verse 27 and we'll read through verse 36. If you do not have a Bible and you'd like one, there are some on the back table, my right, your left, and you can certainly take one from there. Beginning in 1 Samuel 2 verse 27, the Bible says this, And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense, to wear the ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? The answer of all those questions is, of course, yes. Wherefore, he said, Kick ye at my sacrifice, And at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, that there shall not be an old man in thine house. And thou shalt see an enemy in thy habitation in all the wealth which God shall give Israel. And there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. And the man of thine whom I shall not cut off from mine altar shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart and all the increase of thine house shall die in the flower of their age. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house And he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left in thine house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and shall say, put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. Not a very pleasant passage of scripture this morning, but let's walk through it together beginning in verse 30 where God begins his response. God begins the consequences upon Eli and upon his sons and upon his lineage for his unfaithfulness. And God says, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever, but now the Lord saith, be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. The man of God lists Eli's, he listed God's offenses, or uh, God's, grievances against Eli and Eli's offenses against God. And now it's time to declare the consequences. And the theme of God's words to Eli is this. 
God honors those who honor him, and God dishonors those who dishonor him. God had promised to Aaron and to Aaron's sons that they would walk before him forever, that they would be the priests, that they would be the ministers, that they would be the ones that have the privilege of ministry. But Eli was not the only man of Aaron's line. Eli and his line had proven themselves very early on, here's our word again, to lack faithfulness. And those who are callously unfaithful to the responsibilities that God has given to them, those who are unwilling to do what God has asked them to do, those who see the responsibilities that God has given and refuse to do them, those who are unfaithful to God, will not be blindly honored by God much less those who dishonor God will be dishonored by God. And so in verse 31, the man of God says, The days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, that there shall not be an old man in thy house. The day is coming, he says, when the arm of your father's house, when this particular arm of Aaron will be cut off and there will be no old man left in the house. Now we'll discuss what these verses mean in just a moment. We'll kind of take it and we'll, we'll shape exactly what God is saying here and what God is not saying here. But let's get through verses 32 and 33 first. So in verse 32, uh, the man of God says, and thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation in all the wealth which God shall give Israel, and there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. God, uh, God's telling Eli here that not only would the arm of his father's house be cut off, but the habitation of God, that being the tabernacle, the place where God dwells, right? My habitation, the habitation of God would become the enemy of Eli and his family. That the habitation of God would no longer be a place of rest and a place of worship and a place of joyful service. It would be a place of danger. It would be a place of death. It would be a place of cursing for them. And then God reiterates his promise that there would never be an old man in the house. That for, for the rest of the years of the lineage of Eli's family, there would not be one man that lived to be an old man. They would all die young. Now, there are many things going on spiritually here, and I, I don't want to miss them, but I don't want to get bogged down in them either. But let me say this. Please understand that God is not declaring here that he's going back on his word, that he is no longer giving the promises that he said he was, he was going to give. God's promise of the perpetual priesthood, God's promise that, that, that there would be one of Aaron's line that would be a priest in Israel forever was not given to Eli. It was given to Aaron in Exodus 29.9. God was not telling Eli that all of the sons of Aaron had lost the privilege of being a priest, but only the arm of Aaron that Eli came from. This is not the first time that God was willing to make this happen in Scripture. Do you remember uh, back in... In uh, the time of Moses, as he's leading Israel out of the wilderness, Israel had rebelled against God, and God said, I'm going to go down and I'm just going to destroy the entire nation, and I will raise up a nation through you, Moses. Now, God promised to Israel that there would be a great nation that would come out of his, out of his posterity. 
it would not have been inconsistent with God's righteousness to destroy the nation of Israel, but to leave Moses because they were, Moses would yet be a child of Israel. So Israel could still have become a great nation through Moses. And this is the same idea that God is giving here. God didn't make the promise to Eli. He made it to Aaron. And now he's going to remove Eli from the blessing of Aaron because Eli proved himself unfaithful. See, there are no spiritual grandchildren. We all stand before God and we account for our own actions. We can't skate through life on the righteous actions of our parents. Eli thought he could skate through life on the righteous actions of his posterity, of Aaron, and his, who was his great-grandfather. Hophni and Phinehas thought they could skate through life because they were Aaron's seed. God says, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I'll honor. Those who dishonor me, I will lightly esteem. God's not going to be unfaithful to his promise to Aaron here, but he's cutting Eli and his family out of that promise. In verse 33, we read this, And the man of thine whom I shall not cut off from mine altar shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart and all the increase of thy house shall die in the flower of his age. The final aspect of God's judgment upon Eli and his family is that um, some would not be killed. And those that were not killed would live only to be consumed with grief over the distress of their circumstances. Would live only to be consumed with trouble. Now, pastor, you say, are you telling me that Eli's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren would suffer because of Eli's sin? Yes and no. No, in that the Scriptures clearly state that every man stands before God himself. That we all stand before God and we are judged on our own actions. Our parents aren't judged for us, nor are we judged for our parents. That we stand before God and we are judged for our own sin. But those of you who are parents in this room understand the concept of your sin affecting your family, don't you? Those of you who have um, difficult family history, bad uh, family life in, in past generations, understand the concept of the sins of one generation affecting the next. It's not that God was going to personally hold Eli's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren responsible for Eli's sin, but Eli had raised children and given them a poor example of faithfulness, a poor example of obedience, a poor example of righteousness. And those poor values passed down to his children. And God is announcing here that for the rest of the history of Eli's family, his descendants, their attitudes and actions will have been spoiled by the template, by the trend that Eli started when he chose to be unfaithful to God. Eli has started in motion a lifestyle of disregard for God and His Word that would perpetuate through every generation of his family. And to this degree, yes, Eli's sins affect his family. It's much the same way that we might think of a family that's plagued by the the sin of alcohol. And because of the nature of the environment in which the children are raised, they pick up on that sin and the next generation picks up on this sin. So you have a multi-generational sin of alcoholism and it's not inherently because each one, each child is not making the choice, but rather 
it was the influence and the poor example of those who have gone before them that lend them to a particular sinful lifestyle. God announces that Eli is setting a template of poor choices that will follow his descendants to every generation and finally that they will be cut away from the priesthood. See, the consequences of our sin never just end with us. We can try to convince ourselves of that. We can pretend that that's the case. We can pretend like our sins are in a... (laughs) Sorry, every time I use this, I get some small child that comes up and asks me about it. We can pretend that our sins operate in a vacuum, right? And that they don't affect anyone else. Children, it's not a vacuum cleaner. It's a different concept. Uh, Ask your parents. So we can pretend like our, our sins operate free from any influences and, any inf- and, and that we don't influence others with them, but it's simply not the case. Our attitudes, our actions, our dispositions rub off on people. Sin spreads. That's why often Scripture likens sin to those things that spread. Leprosy, leaven, things that don't just have small effect, they have great effect because the consequences of our sin always affect others. Now, before we move on to verse 34, I'd like to give you a visual aid here to try to help you. If you have the outline that I gave you at the beginning of the book, this is on that outline. If you don't have it, um, I'll have more of them on the back table soon. I just realized today that we were out of them, but I will get more of those on the back table if you don't have one. But for those of you that have this out, uh, have the, the outline of 1 Samuel, this is in the back of your outline as it traces Levi, Aaron, uh, Eleazar, Ithamar, and Eli's descendants. And what we're going to um, discuss is the reality that, that Eli and his family was indeed just one arm of Aaron. Aaron uh, had four sons. Nadab and Abihu were killed in the wilderness wanderings because they offered strange fire before the Lord. And because of their false worship to God, they were struck down by God in His holiness. And so Nadab and Abihu died. When Nadab and Abihu died, the high priesthood passed down to Eleazar, Aaron's third son, and Ithamar, Aaron's fourth son. Eli is a descendant of the fourth son, Ithamar. Now, after Eleazar died, the priesthood was given over to Phineas, which was his son. And it was to be expected that the high priesthood would go through Eleazar, Phineas, and that line. In, in um, the book of Joshua, we see Phineas is the high priest. When the nation enters the land of Israel, jo- uh, Phineas is the high priest in the land. And then at some point, at some point, the priesthood transitions, and we don't know how, from Eleazar's line with Phineas to Ithamar's line, and specifically as we see it, Eli. Now Phineas was given the priesthood in Numbers chapter 25, and he was given the priesthood in Numbers chapter 25. If you recall, this was right after Balaam, and Balaam tried to curse Israel, and he couldn't curse Israel, and he had to bless Israel. And then Balaam told Balak, who was the king of the Amorites, or excuse me, the Moabites, I know how you can remove God's blessing. If I can't curse them with my mouth, send unfaithful women in, and the men will 
wander from God's commands by pursuing these women in adulterous relationships. And it worked. The Moabitess women went in, the men uh, had adulterous relationships with them, and God's blessing was removed from the people. And a group of righteous people were weeping before the tabernacle, and before their very eyes, a man of Israel took a woman of Moab into the tent to commit adultery with her. And Phineas was so angry that he took a spear and he ran it through both of them. Do you remember that story? And God was very pleased that, uh, uh, for Phineas's righteous indignation. And God promised Phineas for, because of his zeal that God would give Phineas and his posterity the priesthood forever. So we already know that Phineas's line is the line that's going to have the priesthood in eternity because God has promised that in Numbers chapter 25. But somewhere along the line, Ithamar and his sons got the priesthood. We don't know how. Eli has two sons. We've talked about them a little bit. This next slide is going to be a little small. Forgive me for that, but I had to get it all in there. Eli has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. We've talked about them. And it's in the days of Eli that God promises to cut off Eli's arm. Do you see the two arms there? There's Eleazar's and Phinehas's arm. And then there's Ithamar and Eli's arm. And God says, I'm going to cut your arm off from the priesthood. So God is not promising to remove Aaron and his family, just Ithamar's line. Okay? Just Ithamar's line. So Eli has Hophni and Phinehas. And we know that Hophni and Phinehas are going to die. Phinehas had two sons, however. And the eldest of those sons, Ahitub, becomes the next high priest. And what we see as we trace the lineage in 1 Samuel 14.3, we see the lineage of these. We trace the high priesthood. Eli's arm, his family, still has the high priesthood all the way through the days of David and into the reign of Solomon. For the next 120, 130 years, Eli's family is still in the priesthood. Ahimelech was the high priest that uh, fed David of the showbread. Do you recall in the tabernacle when David fled from Saul for his life? And he goes and the showbread is given to him. Ahimelech was the one that gave that to him. And then he was eventually killed by Doug in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. Abiathar was a high priest with Zadok, who was of the line of Phinehas. Abiathar was the high priest during the rest of the reign of David after Ahimelech was killed. And he followed David's son, Adonijah, instead of following David's declaration to make Solomon king. Remember, Adonijah rose up in, in that civil war against David and Solomon. And Abiathar, the scriptures tell us, followed after um, David's son Adonijah instead of following after David's son Solomon. And so after the civil war, when Solomon was made king, Solomon took Abiathar and Abiathar's son Ahimelech and cast them out of the priesthood forever because they did not follow God's decree of making Solomon king. And it was in that day, in the first days of King Solomon, that we see God's promises completely fulfilled that the priesthood would be removed. And we see in that day that the man Zadok becomes the high priest. And Zadok was given the high priesthood because he was faithful to David. And he was faithful to David's son, Solomon. So he was given the high priesthood. And amazingly enough, you have it on your chart there. 
If you go all the way to the book of Ezekiel, when God is describing in Ezekiel 44 the millennial temple and the sacrifices that are done in the millennial temple, God says the sons of Zadok are the ones who are offering the sacrifices before me because they were faithful to me in the days of David. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now this traces hundreds of years of priestly history. Just quick trace of priestly history. Aaron was faithful to God, so God was faithful to Aaron. Phineas was faithful to God, so God was faithful to Phineas. Eli was not faithful to God, so God did not esteem Eli and his family of worthiness. Zadok was faithful, so God was faithful to Zadok. The difference between the line of Eleazar and the line of Ithamar was faithfulness. God loves faithfulness. God wants faithfulness. God wants you to be faithful to Him. God wants you to serve Him with a single mind and with a single heart. And while you don't make the choices for your family, you don't choose the direction your family goes in, the grace of God can indeed overcome your lack of faithfulness and the negative influences. We must understand that the choices we make can and often do affect the choices of those who we influence. So be faithful. As we continue in verse 34, we see the divine sign that God gives that He will bring these things to pass. And it's not a happy one. God promises that in one day, both of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, would be killed. And God says, when this sign comes to pass, then Eli and all of Israel will know that God's word is true. Eli and all of Israel will know that God brings to pass everything that he promises and everything that we have just considered together. And this is one of the most fundamental ways that God has used signs throughout history. In the Old Testament, God most regularly used signs and wonders to validate his message. This is how he used them in the Old Testament. This is how he used them in the New Testament. This is how he used them in the book of Acts to validate his message. And there's coming a day when he'll use these signs and wonders again. That's what the book of Revelation is about. The book of Revelation is intended to be signs and wonders that validate that everything that God has said will come to pass will come to pass. It's to be a time of judgment and um, reconciliation of Israel to himself as well. Say, well, what about this age, Pastor? Well, certainly God can use signs still, but this is not how God has chosen to validate His authority in this age. In this age, God has chosen to validate His authority through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, and through the righteous living of His church. That as we live righteous lives in the midst of a world that despises the truth of God and has rejected God and His truth, every time we operate in obedience to the Word of God at the expense of what would seem right in the world's eyes, we are a testimony of the truth of God to the world around us. And so God promises in verse 35 that He will raise up a faithful priest in contrast to the unfaithfulness of Eli and his sons, God will find the faithful man and he will raise him up to that position of the priesthood. And the difference would be faithfulness. 
The difference would be that this man would know God's will and would do it, would know God's mind and would obey it. And the reward for this faithful priest, God says, that he will build this priest a house, that this priest would walk before God's anointed. And that word anointed in the Hebrew is literally the word Messiah, that this priest would walk, would minister, would stand before God's Messiah forever. What a reward for faithfulness. hmm? Now, we've already mentioned who this man is that God would raise up to fulfill this qualification. The sons of Zadok. Those of Zadok's line, those who are faithful to David, will have the privilege of being those who stand before the Lord's anointed, before Messiah. Now, there are many here, many, if you were to read up on this passage, who see Jesus as the fulfillment of this faithful priest prophecy. That Jesus is the one who's done all in God's heart and all in God's mind. He is the faithful priest. And Hebrews does tell us that indeed Jesus Christ is the great high priest in the heavens and that he is the one who um, stands between us and God. He's the great high priest for us. But I remind you that in this particular prophecy, it's prophesied that the man who will fulfill this would walk before the anointed. It can't be the anointed. He can't be the anointed if he's walking before the anointed. And various commentators will say, well, it's, it's uh, Jesus Christ will fulfill this still. I don't see it. I think we have very clear teaching in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 that Zadok is the one who will walk before the Lord. We see here that it is someone who walks before or in the face of the anointed. We know that the anointed is the word Messiah. Messiah is Christ. So I believe it's someone else. And I believe that someone else is Zadok and his family. Zadok was that priest at the end of David's reign, the beginning of Solomon's reign. Zadok is mentioned in the Ezekiel, Ezekiel prophecies. And let's take a quick look at what Ezekiel had to say concerning this man's lineage and his family. Ezekiel forty forty six says this, The chamber whose prospect is towards the north is for the priests and the keeper of the charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok among the sons of Levi, which come near to the Lord to minister unto him. The Lord is said to be physically ruling and reigning in the, ta- in the temple at this time. And Zadok and his sons are to be those of the sons of Levi who minister before the Lord. Ezekiel 43.19, we see this. Thou shalt give to the priests the Levites that be of the seed of Zadok, which approach unto me to minister unto me, saith the Lord God, a young bullock for the sin offering. So here again, we see the sons of Zadok are the ones that are promised the privilege of ministering before the Lord in the millennial temple. One more in Ezekiel 44.15. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister unto me, and they shall stand before me to offer unto me the fat and the blood, saith the Lord God. All of these promises that in the millennial time, during millennial worship, Zadok will be the one to stand before the Lord as the faithful priest. Ezekiel 48.2, excuse me, one more. And it shall be for the priests that are sanctified of the sons of Zadok, which have kept my charge, which went not astray when the children of Israel went astray as the Levites 
went astray. In these passages, if we, uh, if we understand them literally, as everything thus far in the scriptures has been fulfilled literally, we recognize that they will be the ones, Zadok will be the ones who are given the literal priesthood in the millennial kingdom to minister before the Lord as the faithful priests. So God says, there's coming a day, it shall come to pass that everyone, excuse me, verse 35. Um, I apologize, it's the wrong uh, verse up there, but it's the right, right reference at the top. Verse 35, I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to all or to that which is in my heart and my mind and I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. God finalizes this curse upon Eli and his posterity by reiterating the poverty that they would be in. Look at verse 36. It shall come to pass that everyone that is left in thine house... Okay, so the verse is right. The reference is wrong. My apologies. That everyone that is left in thine house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and shall say, put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. That the people of his family will long to have some at least menial position in the priesthood that they might simply eat, that they might simply have something to eat. The consequences of unfaithfulness truly are great. And this is the application that I would like us to walk away with this morning. As we consider, we trace Eli's lineage, we consider everything that, that Eli um, did and his sons did and, and how it affected the lineage of his family. God said, them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. This was not just a message to Eli as the principle transcends God's dealings with men. We spoke earlier in the message about the parable of the talents. Not talents like abilities, but talents like a measure of money in Matthew 25. And in that parable, God gave ten talents to one man, five to another, and one to a third. And the man that had ten talents while the master was away multiplied it and got, gave another, found a, another ten talents through, through uh, investment and multiplying of his efforts. And, and he got another ten talents and he laid that before the Lord and the Lord said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then the man with five talents while the master was away, he put that money to use and he was able to multiply that money twofold. And whereas he had five talents, he then had ten talents and God said, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. But the man given one talent buried it. And when the master came back, he produced the same amount and he said, I, I've been given this and this is what I'm giving back to you and giving you the same thing that you gave to me. And he said, you wicked servant. You wicked servant. You did nothing with that which I gave you. God honored the two who took what they had been given and were faithful with it. God praised their faithfulness. The man that found dishonor with God was not the man who had been given more or less, but the man who was not faithful with what he had been given. It's not about what, how much God has given you. It's about what you've done with, God, with what God has given you. Say, Pastor, I can't help the church. I can't play piano. I can't teach. I can't sing. So God hasn't given you those gifts. But what has God given to you? What gifts do you have? What understanding or abilities do you have? If you're a born-again believer in this room, but on the authority of God's Word, I can tell you that you have a gift. 
God has given you a spiritual gift. You have a part in the body of Christ. You are a member. God is not up in heaven looking down on you because you haven't been given musical ability or you don't have the capacity to study for hours on end. God isn't asking you to become something you're not to please Him or to serve Him. But God has given you something. God's given you perhaps positions of influence. God's given you opportunities. God's given you finances. God's given you something. And the question is, are you taking what He's given you and being faithful with it? Parents, God has given you the responsibility of raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Are you being faithful? Not perfect. Faithful. Not just like pastor raises his kids. Faithful. Church member. Maybe you can't sing. Maybe you can't preach. Maybe you can't teach. But at the very least, you can show up, right? You can be here. You can give to the needs of God's people. You can give to the needs of the church. The church gets messy. Can you hold them up? We knock on doors. Can you be a second person? We hand out door hangers to the community. Can you put hangers on doors? What, what do you have the ability to do? Where has God placed you? What direction is God pointing you? You at work. Maybe you can't say too much. Can you say anything? Maybe you get in trouble if you do. Can you put a tract on the break room table? You may not have been given a lot of leeway at your work, but can you do something? Maybe you do have flexibility at your work. Do you use it? Are you being faithful? What abilities has God given you? Do you have a capacity for technology? Are you being faithful? Are you an artist? Are you being faithful? Do you have a head for numbers? Are you being faithful? Do you have a voice? Are you telling people about Christ? Are you obeying the expectation of Scripture to go into the world? Faithfulness. Not about perfection. Not about how much you've been gifted. And by the way, the Scriptures tell us, as we'll see in just a moment, Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust in much. You want God to give you more? More responsibility? Prove yourself faithful with that which you have. Maybe the reason why God hasn't given you more responsibility is because you're, you're not being faithful right now. Maybe the reason why Legacy Baptist Church hasn't been able to turn Buffalo upside down is because we've not been faithful enough with what God has given us today. Maybe the reason why our opportunities aren't as many as they could be is because we're not taking the ones that are. God gives great responsibility to those who prove themselves faithful in the least. And if we can't be faithful in the material, faithful with our families and our job and our church, how can we expect God to give us spiritual responsibilities? Now, I seek not to discourage you this morning. I, I just want to make you think. I'm not here telling you that you're being unfaithful. I just want to make you think. I want to give the Holy Spirit a canvas to work on. 
I want to encourage you in a particular manner, in fact, this morning, that you have the opportunity every day either to faithfully perform that which God has given to you or to honor yourself above God. And it's our choice every day. And it will be until the day that we die. But just know this, that God honors those who honor Him. And those who despise Him, He says in 1 Samuel 2, will be lightly esteemed. Let's close in prayer.